Thank you very much, Anita. In response to the question, who am I? It was all God's choice. He chose to love us. He chose to send Christ. He chose to give us scripture, not because of our goodness, but because of his character. As we reflect on him this morning, that is on Christ, let's pray together. Father, we do thank you for your love that sent Christ, who lived, who died, who came from the dead to die no more, so that we may have life. As we think about Christ, what he has done, we want to be drawn to love you more, to be more responsive to you, to Christ, and your spirit. For it's in Christ's name I pray. Amen. A couple thought questions. I'm not looking for a verbal response. Is Christ's resurrection about happiness, holiness, or heaven? Is Christ's resurrection about happiness, holiness, or heaven? Why did, why does God pursue humans? Did, I'm referring to historically. Why does he, I'm referring to the present. Did Christ's death complete the payment for sin? Did Christ's death complete the payment for sin? The sinner can repent of sin and have faith in Christ. Would you agree with that or disagree with it? Why does Christ stand apart from all religious leaders and founders if all die or will die? Why does Christ stand apart from all religious leaders and founders if all die or will die? Christ died too. What we call Easter was in the mind of God in eternity past, before the creation of the world. The fall of Adam and Eve did not take God by surprise. Thus, he didn't have to act quickly to come up with a plan to reconcile humans to himself. Easter is the fulfillment of the curse directed to the serpent in Genesis 3.15. And I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. Therefore, I think the resurrection, as we think about the resurrection on this Easter in 2014, we want to discuss the gospel. Last week, we began to touch on the gospel. There's a message that is involved in the gospel of Christ. There's conviction by the Holy Spirit. And there's relationships. We find that a creator God acted in Genesis 1 and 2. There was a fall. There was sin. There was separation. God in his grace pursued humans. And then we have Jesus Christ 
comes in the picture. When we talk about Christ, we're talking about his character, his identity, his being. We're talking about the work that he did on this earth, the cross. We're also talking about his resurrection. We also can't separate that from the glory that is coming in the future. We know that with the gospel, there has to be repentance of sin and faith in Christ. And that requires a work of the Holy Spirit. And as the Holy Spirit works and there's repentance of sin and faith in Christ, we come into a relationship with God, with Christ, with the Holy Spirit. We come into a relationship with the body of Christ. And we come into a relationship with the world in that we, as believers, now are to be ambassadors in the world in which we live. Last Sunday, we talked about creator God. As far as the gospel, the gospel begins with God. We talked about the fall, sin and separation. This morning, we want to talk briefly about God's grace, God's pursuing people, and then just the whole issue of Jesus Christ, his character, his identity and being. Again, directing our attention to them briefly. So as we think about the message that involves God's grace, God pursuing humans, think about parents, a mom and a dad, who have a son, who as a teenager defied mom and dad repeatedly. Mom and dad would say something and he would just do the opposite. And it was a pattern of life and went on year after year. As he moved into what we call the young adult years, he, his anger and his bitterness towards his parent, parents came out very, very clearly. He would do things just to upset them. If they didn't like something, he would do it. If they liked something, he would not do it. And because of the intense anger and rage and bitterness towards his parents, he burned down their home. And because of his abilities with the internet and computer and technology, he was able to steal money from them. And he ended up in prison. And because of the nature of his crimes, he was in death row. If you were that parent, how would you respond? Would you go visit your son? Would you extend forgiveness to your son? Or would you hope he gets justice? Think about what is happening in the universe. God created the heavens and the earth. He put Adam and Eve on the earth. <clears throat> he gave them responsibility, told them to care for the garden, told them not to eat of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. If you eat of it, you will die. We know that Adam and Eve chose to eat of the fruit of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And as a result, we have the fall, we have sin, we have separation. But the story doesn't stop there. Because in Genesis chapter 3, we won't read the passage, but in Genesis chapter 3 and verse 8, we find that God pursued Adam and Eve. Even though they rebelled against him, even though they said no to him and yes to the serpent. 
He pursued them. And we know that Adam said, well, God, this woman you put here with me, she's the problem. That happens quite often even nowadays, doesn't it? And Eve said, well, God, it's a serpent. But God continued to pursue them. We have what we call the curse on, for Adam, for Eve, for the serpent. But then we find that God provided clothing for them, animal skins. He did not leave them in the garden lest they would eat of the tree of life. And as you walk through the pages of history, we find that God continued to pursue humans. He pursued Abraham, and Abraham was the one who did not respond so well to God because, uh, you know, God, we need to help you a little. So Sarah said, let's have a child by Hagar. Abraham agreed and had a child by Hagar. Eventually, Jacob came along, and Esau And God chose to bless and pursue Jacob. And from Jacob came 12 sons. And ultimately, Christ came through one of those sons. I invite you to take your Bibles and turn to John chapter 1. In John chapter 1, we find that God is pursuing that is, pursuing humans. John 1 and verse 1. In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through Him all things were made. Without Him nothing was made that has been made. In Him was life, and that life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not understood it. There came a man who was sent from God. His name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light, so that through him all men might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. The true light that gives light to every man was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own. But his own did not receive him. Yet to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision or of a husband's will, but born of God. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. John testifies concerning him. He cries out saying, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. From the fullness of his grace, we have all received one blessing after another. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, but God the one and only who is at his father's side has made him known. From the time of Adam and Eve to the present and in the future, God, in grace, chose to pursue humans. 
His ultimate pursuit was in the person of Christ. The text clearly says, no one has ever seen God, but God, the one and only, who is at the Father's side, has made him known. Want to know God? Christ. And as Christ came into this world, we know that he made the world according to verse 3. He is life. He is light. But how was he received? In verse 10, he was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own. Christ came to the Jewish people, but his own did not receive him. But yet to those who receive him, to those who believe in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. That is, children born by God. You have a creator God. Humans chose to sin. The fall took place. Separation came into the world. But we find that God pursues humans through Christ. In John chapter 3, you can read there verses 16 through 21 that talks about God so loving the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. In John chapter 5, it talks about those who believe he gives the gift of eternal life. In Romans chapter 5, verses 6 through 8, you find there that even while humans were in their sin, God continued to work. In Ephesians chapter 2 and verses 1 through 3, we find that the apostle Paul talks about the fact that humans are dead in their transgressions and sins. They're objects of wrath. But God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ. God pursued dead people. Through Christ. In Hebrews chapter 1, Hebrews, the writer of Hebrews talks about the fact that God spoke to his people through the prophets, but ultimately he spoke through his son, Jesus Christ, the exact representation of God through whom he made the universe. And when Christ had finished the work of redemption, he sat down at the right hand of God. In 1 John chapter 1, 1 through 4, you'll find there that John, again, is speaking and arguing for the fact that there can be fellowship with God so that you may know that you have eternal life. And he begins his book by saying, God pursued you in Christ. God took the action. God did not have to rescue us. He was under no obligation. Adam and Eve chose to sin. God does not need us. God is an independent, self-existing being. He don't need us. How did he get along without us? Quite well. He did for eternity past. It's not that God saw 
good in us and said, well, I think I'll do something for that Brubaker guy down there. You know, he has a little bit of good in him. Or <clears throat> sees Bud and says, you know, Bud's been a decent guy some of his life. You know, I'll do something for him. Or I saw Traviola, you know, I'm going to do something. It's not that God saw worth in us. It's that he chose to pursue us. That's grace. Let's imagine you have a six-year-old son whom you love dearly. Tragically, one day you discover that your son was horribly murdered. After a lengthy search, the investigators of the crime find the killer. You have a choice. If you use every possible means in your power to kill the murderer for his crime, that would be vengeance. If, however, you... You're content to sit back and let the legal authorities take over and execute on him what is proper, a fair trial, a plea of guilty, capital punishment, that is justice. But if you should plead for the pardon of the murderer, forgive him completely, invite him into your home, and adopt him as your son, That is grace. The gospel of Jesus Christ is a message about God's grace. In essence, we are that murderer in the sense that we're separated by God and we're from God and we're born in sin. But God in grace sent his son in our place. As we come to Christ, completely forgives past, present, and future sin. Invites us into his home. Adopts us as his son or as his daughter. That's grace. That grace then extends to the message that God pursued us in sending Christ. We were in the Gospel of John. Go to the Gospel of Mark. Mark chapter 1. Mark chapter 1. And in verse 11, after the baptism of Jesus, and a voice came from heaven, you are my son, whom I love, with you I am well pleased. Then look at verses 14 and 15. After John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee, proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe the good news. And again, we're not going to take time to go into any detail. John was put into prison, proclaiming the good news, He said, the time has come. The kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe the good news. Who's the kingdom of God? As you read through the book of Mark, Jesus Christ is intimately related to the kingdom of God. He is the good news. And then if you go over to Mark chapter 15. Mark chapter 15. 
we find that Christ is crucified. Verse 25 of Mark 15. It was the third hour when they crucified him. The written notice of the charge against him read, the king of the Jews. They crucified two robbers with him, one in his right and one on his left. Those who passed by hurled insults at him, shaking their heads and saying, so? You who are going to destroy the temple and build it in three days, come down from the cross and save yourself. In the same way, the chief priest and the teachers of the law mocked him among themselves. He saved others, they said, but he can't save himself. Let this Christ, this King of Israel, come down from the cross that we may see and believe. Those who crucified him also heaped their insults on him. And then we know according to verses 33 and 34 that Christ died and as he was dying, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That's not the end of the story. Because chapter 16 says, when the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James and Salome brought spices so that they might go anoint Jesus' body. Very early in the first day of the week, just after the sunrise, they were on their way to the tomb. And they asked each other, who will roll the stone away from the entrance to the tomb? But when they looked up, they saw the stone, which was very large, had been rolled away. As they entered the tomb, they saw a young man dressed in a, in a white robe, sitting on the right side, and they were alarmed. Don't be alarmed, he said. You're looking for Jesus and the Nazarene who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where he lay. See the cross, the passion of Christ, his death was by choice because of God's grace and God's love. Christ came from the dead to die no more. He stands in distinction to all the religious founders of our world, all the religions and isms of the world. He died, yes, but he came from the dead to die no more. All other founders die. And I don't consider Jesus the founder of a religion. He's the source of life, the source of a relationship with God, the source of a relationship with himself, the source of a relationship with the Holy Spirit. But it all goes back to Christ. God extending his grace through Christ. Listen as I read from Another passage, we could look at the Gospels, we can look at John, we can look at Romans, you can look at 1 Corinthians. All of those passages speak of Christ, God extending his grace. We can turn to 1 Corinthians 15, and you'll find there again it speaks of God and his grace. In Ephesians chapter 2, it talks about God breaking down the middle wall of perdition between the Jews and Gentiles, again through Christ. In Colossians 1, Christ is superior to angels and so on. And in Titus 3, listen as I read several verses. At one time, we too were foolish, disobedient, deceived, and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. 
We lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. But when the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared, he saved us. Not because of the righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and the renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ, our Savior. So that having been justified by his grace, we might become heirs having the hope of eternal life. The message involves Christ. Again, you could turn to Hebrews 9. You can turn to 1 Peter chapter 1. You can turn to 1 John chapter 1, Revelation chapter 1. And all of them speak of God's grace extended in Christ. Christ, in his character, his identity, his being, is so very critical. If you stop and think about it, Almost three-fourths of the Gospels deal with Christ and his character, his identity, and his being. Why? So that we can understand his work, his death. The one who died on the cross was the very Son of God. The one who arose is the very Son of God. The one who is in glory at the present time, and we anticipate being with him in glory is the very Son of God. See, Christ died, and then he rose from the dead to die no more. That's our hope, First John chapter 3. Where is Christ today? In glory. That's our hope, our expectation. So as we think about Easter, we can think about what is the gospel of Christ. We have a creator God. We have the fall. We have sin. We have separation. We have God pursuing man, humans in grace. And then we have Jesus Christ. The Spirit of God convicts of sin, draws so that we can come into a relationship with God, into a relationship with Jesus Christ, into a relationship with the Holy Spirit. If our greatest need had been information, God would have sent us an educator. If our greatest need had been technology, God would have sent a scientist. If our greatest need had been money, God would have sent us an economist. If our greatest need had been pleasure, God would have sent us an entertainer. But our greatest need was forgiveness, so God sent us a savior. Is Christ's resurrection about happiness, holiness, or heaven. I think at the very core is holiness. Heaven is the byproduct. Happiness may be the byproduct, but at the very core is the holiness of God and God's desire for us to be holy as he is holy. Why did God pursue humans? He chose to love us. His choice. He chose to be gracious. 
his choice. Did Christ's death complete the payment for sin? I would say yes and no. Because if everything stopped when Christ said it is finished, we would be men most miserable. The resurrection is integral related to his death. You can't separate the death from the resurrection. You can't separate the resurrection from his death. You can't separate his death from his character as being identity. They're all related. The sinner can repent of sin and have faith in Christ. Scripture talks very strongly about the necessity of the conviction by the Holy Spirit. The Spirit of God working so that we can come to faith in Christ. Why does Christ stand apart from all the religious leaders and founders if all died or will die? He arose to die no more. We serve a resurrected Christ, not one who is still in the grave, one who arose. Two simple questions. My first one is, are you in Christ? Are you in Christ? Have you come to faith in Christ? If not, why not today? If you are a believer in Christ, are you living in sensitivity with Christ as your life and sharing that with others? Ephesians 1 says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. He predestined us to be adopted as his sons through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. Easter is about Christ. Are you in him? If not, come to faith today. If you are, Live in response to such love and such grace. It's not a duty. It's not a have to. It's a response to love and to grace. Let's sing together, Grace Greater Than Our Sins.